If you recall from where we were last week, if I can recall from where I am in my notes, uh, you can recall from where we were last week, uh, Jesus had been teaching a large group of people, and he had been teaching his disciples, and then it had come down to last week, someone in the crowd asked him, What about those Galileans who their blood was spilled by Pilate into their sacrifice? And the question they were really asking is one, and we talked about this last week, why does bad things happen to good people? And we just shortened it. We we assume that the Bible says there's nobody who's really good. So we just said, why does bad things happen? Jesus continued the thought and said, you know, do you think that those people were super sinners, that they were just super bad is why something happened? In fact, there was a tower that fell in Siloam, killed 18 people. Do you think that those people were super sinners? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so we, we talked about how what Jesus was saying was, unless you turn and change your ways, you're going to die just like they did. Unaware, unprepared, not ready, it's going to be bad. And so the first story that we get to, the the parable that Jesus tells, is tied directly to that. If you see, it says that, no, I tell you that unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish, and he told this parable. So this parable was showing them exactly what he was talking about. And the parable is really easy to understand. A man plants a tree, a fig tree in this case. He comes, he, it grows for three years. He comes around and the fig tree's not born any fruit. It doesn't have any fruit on it. It's just sitting there. And he says to the person he'd hired to take care of the, the vineyard, he says, well, we'll just cut this thing down. It's, it's all this do is taking up dirt. And the guy who runs the vineyard said, look, let's, let's give it a year. Let me, let me fertilize it. Let me prune the roots. Let me clean up around it. And if, it, if after a year it's not grown anything, then we'll tear it out and throw it away. That parable is directly tied to what Jesus had just said before. And what the parable is supposed to be showing us is, is that God, specifically in this case in the nation of Israel, had prepared them, had poured into them, and they weren't bearing any fruit. But we can't just glance over it and go, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me because fig tree is an analogy of Israel because here's the thing. We're in the same boat. We're supposed to be bearing fruit. I mean, there's a verse that we love to quote that Jesus said, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. The very next verse said, by this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The whole idea of God giving us our request is all tied to fruit bearing. What are you, what is your life Bearing, what is your life exposing? Are you having an impact on the people around you? Is your life showing the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, kindness? Or are you just taking up dirt? So, this parable is tied directly to what he was saying before that there's a reason why you're here. You need to participate in that. Now, Luke now shifts stories. But remember from back when we first started teaching through the book of Luke, we said this isn't a biography of Jesus. This is a narrative. This is a story. This is like somebody standing around going, and then there was this one time he's telling a story. 
And so Luke isn't just randomly now shifted to some other new story. He tells the story of a time, not necessarily in the same time frame, but at a time when Jesus was in a synagogue. And a lady walked in, and the Bible says that she was bent over and could barely walk, and she'd been that way for 18 years. Now, for us to really understand this, we have to step back a little bit into that culture. Before there was any redemption in the culture, a woman in those days would have had no value. A woman would literally have been treated as the property of either her father or her husband. In fact, when a husband married, he had to pay the father a dowry to get her, to kind of, to kind of reimburse that father for all the expenses it took to raise the, the girl from birth. And because with a son, you're going to get something out of them, right? They're going to work in the field or whatever. And, but the daughter, you're just marrying her off. So I need some money back for all this stuff. And i got to say, as a father of four girls, they ain't cheap. And so that was the thinking at the time. A woman's value to the father would be, I mean, they love their children just like we do, but in the culture, the woman's value would have been what he could have gotten for her. So if she was pretty, if she had a nice spirit, if she had, was a guy, you're going to get more money. This lady is bent over from the pain that she's experiencing She had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She couldn't fully straighten herself. Everybody in that room would have looked at her when she walked into the church and she was worthless. She had no value for anybody. Now, I want to bring this out, and this is is for free, but the last time that we preached on where where Jesus dealt with a demon, I, I had several people that came and asked me, so... Which is it? Demons or sickness? I mean, if I, if I were to get rheumatoid arthritis and I was bent over, is that a troubling spirit? Or is that it, it's my body attacking itself? How, how, what do you do with that? Even Mark and I talked and he's like, as a physician's assistant, I, I see somebody who comes in and says, hey, I've got my big toe swollen. I don't look at that and go, that's a big toe demon right there. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> right? We don't do that. We say, well, what you need is, is you need you some, some antibiotics because you, your toe's all nasty, and I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to lance it, and there you go. <laughs> Which is it then? And I think the answer to the question is yes. I think that in this world that we live in today, everything that we see is physical. I mean, if I'm going to sit in a chair, there's a chair. If I'm going to walk across this stage, I think to myself, walk across stage, and then I walk across stage. Here's, here's the stage. The stage might fall at some point. There's a soft spot over here. And uh, Bruce and I were just talking about it when um, Robert Smith was here, and he was jumping up and down in this spot. I was sitting right here going, oh, Lord, please hold that man up. I do not want to be in the news because Robert Smith fell through our stage. But if we were to tear the carpet off, we would see that this is plywood and wood. Why am I praying for God to hold the stage together? What we see is all physical. And we act like there's some break between the physical and the spiritual. And I think what the life of Jesus shows us in a way that we could never see on our own because we aren't Jesus is that that break is unrealistic. That all around us, we're in a spiritual world as well. 
The example that, that I've given you before about why, one of the reasons why I believe in prayer is a good example. When we lived in Turkey, there would be times when, it, there's no other way to describe it other than depression. It was just a feeling of, I'm, no, I'm not doing any good here, I'm wasting my time, and I, 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 would be, I would be just sad and depressed. And I would be walking along the street one day, and I'm think, thinking, woe is me. And next thing I know, I kind of catch myself. I'm singing a song and I'm walking along and I'm feeling better. And it's like God has, has moved in my spirit. And I'm like, yeah, woo, we can do this. I'm here serving my king. This is awesome. And then a few days later, somebody would go, hey, you know what? The Lord laid your, you on my heart the other day and I prayed for you. And I could say, I know exactly when you prayed for me. I could tell you almost to the minute when you prayed for me because God picked me up at that moment. God filled my heart with a song that wasn't natural. So how did that happen? It's a, it, in the world that we live in, it's a spiritual and a physical. And that dichotomy, that break that we're looking for, is false. David prayed, God, strengthen the gates of Israel. And then David went out and hired some folks to get some mortar and some rocks and strengthen the gates of Israel. And didn't see a contradiction in that at all. If you come to me and say, I'm sick, will you pray for me? I'm not going to tell you, yeah, I'm going to pray for you, but don't go to the doctor. No, I'm going to pray for you then say, who are you going to go see? Don't go see him. I've heard he's nasty. You need to go to this other guy. Because is it any less healing if you take some medicine that God gave somebody the wisdom to develop 20 years ago and that sickness that you had goes away? The very fact that if I cut myself, it heals I had an old Dodge pickup truck, a 67 Dodge D100 pickup truck. Starter went out on it. And I went to the parts house and said, I need a starter. And they, the guy looks at me like I'm an idiot. Yeah, King, I don't have parts for that old thing. And so I checked around, and the only place I could find one, it was like $200 for a starter for this truck. And I, I say it seems to be a theme in my life. I was broke, and I didn't have that kind of money. So I just parked on a hill for like a year. Maybe two. I just always parked on a hill or parked somewhere where I could roll start it. And then that old truck was a three on the column. And so I could drive it, but Ann couldn't. And one time we were uh, in Birmingham on the intersection of Lakeshore Boulevard. And uh, Lakeshore goes this way and Green Springs going this way, Valley Avenue. And I'm at that red light and I look up and the traffic's already moved along. And so I st start to go and boom, I, I popped the clutch and killed it. So I got Ann sitting here. I got traffic backing up, and I'm like, I'm sorry, babe, you can't drive it. So I put it in first, push the clutch down, and my little wife is out there on Green Valley Avenue <laughs> pushing that big truck. And then boom, 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 boom. No longer, matter how long I waited, that truck wasn't going to heal itself. That starter wasn't going to get in there and rewire itself so that it would start working. And yet your body, if you cut your hand... In a little while, it's going to be healed. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that cool? Nothing else does that except the stuff God made. And so my point is, is that is it spiritual with this lady or is it physical? And the answer is yes. The thing that God wants us to see in the context of the story is here is this lady. And we don't know how old she was. She could have been 18 and been this way from birth. She could have been 36 and some accident happened. All we know is that she comes into the church bent over and in pain. And you're not Savior, Sar. 
And he called her over to him. He didn't just ignore her like everybody else. He didn't just pretend that she had no value. He called her to him. And then he did something super weird. He touched her. He laid his hands on her. You see, it was unthought of and unheard of in that culture to, for a man to touch a woman. It's still that way in that culture. I was, um, when we first moved here from Turkey, it took me some time to, to unlearn what I had learned there. And this is what you learn. You don't make eye contact with a person of the opposite sex. That is a very sexually charged thing to do if you look at somebody in the eyes. So you don't do that. If you were to meet a couple, I would walk up to the man and say, it's great to meet you, how are you? And I wouldn't acknowledge the wife until he said, this is my wife, or whatever. Because doing so would have been an affront to him. You would, and I would never have put my hand out to shake her hand. That would have been extremely rude because that's putting her in a position to where she has to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to touch you. And so you would never do that. So I came to church here, and I'd been doing that for so long that I st- when I started walking around, I'd be like, hey, how's it going, man? How are you doing? And then, hey, brother, how are you doing? And the wife's sitting there going, what a jerk. <laughs> and so I was telling a Sunday school class about this the other day. I was like, so I had to relearn that. And one of the women in the Sunday school class goes, yeah, I knew you were a jerk. I remember that. I told him he don't like women. No, it was just my learned behavior, and that's the same culture that we have here. The very fact that Jesus would have gone over to this woman, this woman who had no value, that everybody would have looked at, that God had cursed her, she was nasty, she didn't have, there's no point in her even being at church, and Jesus walks over and touches her and healed her. Well, the church folk, as church folk have a tendency to do, got mad because he healed on the Sabbath. And said, hey, in fact, the, 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 the high and righteous person who was leading that day decided to use that as what he was going to talk about. And he said, you know what? You've got six days to do whatever you want to and one day that you're rest. So if you're going to come for a healing, come to be healed on one of the days when it ain't the Sabbath. And Jesus did not appreciate that at all. The Lord, I believe was angry because the first words out of his mouth is, you hypocrite. Any one of you on a Sabbath would untie his ox or his donkey and feed him. You care more about your animals than you do about this woman. Is exactly what he was saying. To you, she's less valuable than your donkey. And she, a daughter of Abraham, that woman that nobody loved, that nobody cared for, that by their own words they belied, that they thought more of their dogs than they did her. Jesus loved and healed. And then, on top of this, he tells a parable. He said, therefore. Now, therefore, remember we used to say all the time, when you see a therefore, you ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, is always point back, because of this, the following is true. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? It's like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of air, the air made nests in its branches. 
Well, a couple of things. One, uh, some people like to say, well, the mustard seed's not the smallest seed in the world. That's, this is not true. Well, first of all, the word seed there that's used is talking about uh, seed that you would use in the garden. And so of the seed that anybody in Israel would have known that's used in the garden, a mustard seed is far and away the smallest seed. If any of you ever seen a mustard seed, they're teeny tiny. They look like little pinpoints almost. Some of you here planted mustard greens and you know what I'm talking about. They're a bitty. Uh, almost like a, was it radish that you like to plant, Bonnie? Was it radishes? Turnips, that's right. Like little bitty seeds like that. So that little seed, when you plant it, unlike corn or other uh, wheat, something that they would have grown, it doesn't grow into just a plant that it, that's going to die. And I mean, have you ever seen a bird build a nest in corn? He's saying that this grows into a big bush that the birds of the air can come and they build their homes in. This little bitty seed, the little teeny seed. And then the other comparison he has is if a woman takes yeast and puts it in, and it's the, the, the unit of measure that he uses is actually 50 pounds of flour. If, he, if a woman has 50 pounds of flour and she puts that yeast in that 50 pounds of flour, over time it permeates the whole batch. Now, every other time in the Bible when, when yeast is talked about, it's talked about uh, in a negative sense. It's used to compare sin. But here Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like that. Some little bitty amount, just like a little mustard seed that has great value, that little bitty bit of yeast can take, make that whole 50-pound ba- barrel of flour become ye- yeasty. Uh, what do we do with this? And why does Luke say, in the light of the story that we just told about this lady, the mustard seed and the tree and the flower? How does that all tie together? There are people in this room that as I talked about needing to connect with folks around you, you thought to yourself, not me. I have nothing to bring. I've got nothing to offer. And I want you to understand that you, you have gifts and abilities and things about you that God has given you so that you could be used for the kingdom. The verse that we read in Ephesians says that God gave all these gifts. To some he gave prophets. To some he gave he, he gave teachers. To some, he, he gave as shepherds. To some, he did this. To some, he did that. Why? So that, the king, so that the church could be built up. You had the gifts that you have not for you. The gifts that you have were given to you so that you could use them for his church. It may be, in your mind, a little bitty thing, something that has no value. Maybe you're just a loving person that would, could, could look at somebody and go, we're so glad to have you, and they would believe it. Maybe you have the ability to, to pray for somebody in such a way that God would, could lift their heart. Maybe God's given you the ability to teach. Maybe God's given you the ability to wipe a snotty nose in the nursery. Maybe God's given you the ability to do any number of things. And if you're not doing it, it ain't getting done. The church is not designed for any of us to just sit here. 
And so Jesus, in talking about this lady that everybody in the culture would have thought of is worthless, has no value, God is saying, in her, that's the kingdom of God. When God breaks into somebody's life, that's what it is, establishing. And God can use you. I wish I could walk around and point at each one of you and say, you, 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 you would just take too long. But I want you to understand, God can use you. In fact, if you don't let God use you, there's a hole. There's something missing. There are people who you've been gifted in a way to reach them that I never could. They won't hear me. They won't listen to anything that I say. I can't meet their needs, but you can. And when the foot says to the body, I'm of no value because I'm not an ear, then how does the body work? And so what we see in this is there's nobody on earth who's worthless. We as Christians believe in the Imago Dei, which means that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being has value. And it's our call in the ministry of the church to the world. It's our responsibility to take this gospel that we've been given out there. And to take this gospel that we've been given to the person in the pew beside you. And when we don't do that, the whole system falls apart. Just a little bitty seed. When it's planted, turns into a big, huge tree that the birds of the air can nest in. Just a little bit of leaven. Put in a huge 50-pound barrel of flour. Just a little bit of leaven. Over time, God can use it. God wants to use you. God wants you to get to work. God wants you to serve Him. Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that You would use us. God, I pray that You would grow us in our walk, grow us in our Christ-likeness. Lord, I pray that You would convict and draw. God, I pray that You would use us and make us usable. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the fact that you died for us. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Lord, I pray in this congregation, Lord, that you would move us. In Jesus' name, amen.